recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Community Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 468. My name is Aaron Wilson, and with me today I have a special co-host, Ishmael Chandri. Ishmael, today is Wednesday, March 6, 2019. How's it going? It's going great. How about yourself? Uh, it's, going, it's going great. It's great. We just got back from sales kickoff, so I'm pretty excited uh, about the leadership conference, and it's a new year. Um, but before we do that, we always have our co-host tell us the color of the bay. So if you didn't come across the bay, you're going to have to you know, use your, your, your mental telepathy and tell us what is the color of bay report today. The color of the bay report today. Yes, we need a color of the bay. It's, um, I'll say blue, because there's a lot of rain today in our forecast. It is, it is still raining here in California, and uh, we do miss John White. He is the sales kickoff today. Uh, on the show today, we're going to have Eric Hinderer. Uh, Eric is a senior staff technical specialist. Uh, he's a SME on NSX. Um, he's done, uh, founded uh, the Northeast region's uh, task practice. Um, he's also a Kubernetes specialist, SME as well. So we're going to drill into uh, NSXT. There's a new version of NSXT out. So we're going to talk with Eric about NSXT. He's going to tell us architectural changes that are happening in the product as well as GUI enhancements and some of the fields reactions. So it should be a good show today. But before we got to Eric, thought we would just touch base on uh, what's happening in the news. Uh, I'll, I'll say the obvious. We announced our, our 2019 earnings. It was a good year for us. We beat uh, estimates in Q4 by 10 cents a share. So I just want to say thanks to everyone out there in the ecosystem. We're only allowed to talk about financial data for like 10 days after earnings, and then we're not allowed to talk about it any longer. So thought I would just say, hey, it's great that everybody participated in a fantastic year beat earnings up uh, up 10 cents above what we were expected. Uh, so that's good, and everybody was pretty happy at the uh, uh, the leadership meeting that happened on Sunday and Monday of this week. Uh, Pat Gelsinger was there. Um, Pat Gelsinger presented uh, his Kilimanjaro climb. He climbed the mountain and did uh, uh, community work for schools um, and in India, and I think that was uh, also really inspiring. If you have never listened to Pat talk about some of the charity work he does. Um, it, it is inspiring. In fact, Pat actually teared up a couple times during the during the two-day conference. And so I got to say, Pat Helsinger, as always, impresses. Uh, the ecosystem, ecosystem impresses uh, all the work that everybody does to do a year's worth of earnings. Uh, and um, what, I, what I would say is, is that Ishmael's here, and Ishmael actually works in the in our team uh, managing all our finances. So when we go to VMworlds and we do hackathons and we get uh, all the community booths with V Brown and Bag and everything like that, all the all the people in the ecosystem, Ishmael actually is the guy that's behind making sure that uh, we can pay for it all. So uh, what do you think 2020 is going to bring us? Do you think uh, we're going to still have money to do that kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, just based on kind of the results that you shared with me from all your meetups, what happened over at VMworld, uh, um, all the different great events that you guys, your team has been participating in um, uh, representing VMware at, um, I see no reason why we shouldn't not only um, come through with the same presence, but increase our presence and increase our spend at all these uh, events to make sure that we're getting the right messaging out to the, uh, 
to the to the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, I know. And uh, uh, I think in a given quarter, we cut probably 25, 30 different purchase orders that go out to to all the different events that we go to to V Brown Bag, Alistair, and uh, all of the the code events. Uh, then also community stuff that we're doing. So. Uh, I know I keep you really busy, so uh, thanks a lot for that, and thanks for coming and, and, and hanging out with us on a, a weekly podcast. Oh, no, thanks for uh, having me. It's a great opportunity to come and kind of see the, uh, the work that you guys do, and um, uh, you're welcome for helping because you are kind of a troublemaker. I, I am a troublemaker. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always overrunning budgets or grabbing people's money that they can't spend, so I appreciate that, uh, which is a great financial quarter, so we're really, really pleased. And thanks to everybody in the community, everybody in the field, uh, orgs, that, and all the V experts and everybody out there that, you know, basically helps us drive business. And, and uh, you know, some other companies in our space didn't do so well. And so if you want to look that up, uh, we're very pleased with uh, the fact that we did do well and we're doing well in all different types of markets. So very happy with that. So moving to, uh, moving to uh, V experts. So, Corey, you're on the call. I know you guys are busy voting. When 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 everybody's on the edge, when is that gonna? When when are Expert 2019 going to be announced? Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna announce. Uh, so it looks like we're gonna end up announcing tomorrow. We're just waiting for a couple tasks to be completed, and uh, yeah, so everyone will receive their emails um, tomorrow. Uh, should be sometime tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I'm excited um, to announce this. Uh, the 2019 program is a lot of work put into it. That's, that's nice. I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited because I applied this year for the first time ever. Normally, I just go into tool and click the little button that says make me a V-expert. So um, I'm going to see how I do as, on my credentials versus just you know, being, a, being a manager. So uh, exciting. Thanks for doing all the work. I know the V-expert pros have been voting and working on, in the tool to make that happen. So uh, thanks to everybody. Shout out to everybody that's making that happen. And uh, Cross your fingers. Uh, we'll announce tomorrow, and uh, we'll see see if you get that that uh, special packet in the mail. So very cool. Um, last thing, uh, I don't think I have a last thing. So I think we'll move on to Eric, and uh, we'll 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 start talking about NSXT. So on the call is again Eric Hinderer. Uh, Eric uh, again. Uh, built a practice. He's a SME that works on NSX uh, in the Eastern region. So very impressive guy uh, out with customers. We're going to get to hear about what uh, what he's been doing out in the field. So Eric, welcome to the show. I think this is your first show that I can remember. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, how long you've been at VMware, uh, what your role is, and what have you done in the industry before you got to VMware? Sure. Thanks, Eric. Um, so yes, my name is Eric Andrew. Um, and I'm a staff technical account specialist uh, with, uh, with uh, you know, uh, TAM org. Um, but we're really kind of different in terms of, you know, a TAM. So the specialist role um, sort of came out about three years ago um, when we started sort of seeing that client adoption of NSX wasn't realizing what it should, right? Um, so what we figured out was that it was – you had to really work a lot with them uh, sort of post-sales. So really what the uh, networking security has is, uh, is a post-sales, you know, sort of uh, component to the pre-sales, you know, NSX specialist, right? Um, sure. So we basically help client drive, drive adoption and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, so in terms of my background, I'm sort of a different kind of guy. I come out of uh, sort of a DevOps 
uh, telco space. So I did a lot of work with like, you know, IVR development where you do touch tone phone stuff, uh, you know, DSL switching and stuff like that. Um, so it's interesting because speaking of that, uh, that's sort of my background into where I fit into the organization of the SME. Um, so I support, you know, the, the TAM org and the TAS org uh, as a SME uh, with basically NFXT and Kubernetes right now uh, for the most part. And then I also fill a role um, as a performance, a DFW performance specialist, right, for firewall. Um, so I'll just talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, sort of thoughts on uh, driving, you know, things like NSXT, what we see out in the field right now um, is really two big business drivers, right? So we see uh, the desire for, uh, you know, businesses to have uniform security and networking uh, between, you know, on-prem and cloud. Um, and then we see a lot of shops right now doing interesting things with uh, container development, right? Um, so they right. go to the area of, so I guess the thought there is, uh, you know, with T, what I'm seeing these days uh, is really, you know, a couple different things, right? Um, right? You know, in terms of adoption, you see it really a lot in that, you know, pivotal container space, Kubernetes, uh, as well as just hybrid cloud, right? Um, so I'll pause there. And I'll sort of go into some of the 2.4 changes that are really, uh, I guess, uh, big changes in terms of architecture um, and that people should be aware of. Um, so in 2.4, we changed the architecture of NFX manager and controllers. So what we do is we converge, uh, and actually the API as well, right? Um, so we converge policy management and the control plane uh, now into NSX Manager, right? Um, so what we actually are doing is we're merging the NSX Manager appliance, the NSX Controller VMs themselves now uh, are now part of the actual appliance, uh, as well as the API VM, which used to be a separate uh, VM now that is part of the appliance. Um, so what that does is that gives us the ability uh, to produce a, uh, a high availability architecture as well as scale out capabilities, right? Because when we had the construct of, you know, controllers and manager and all those sort of things, uh, there was restraints, you know, around that. Um, so what's really kind of neat now is we have uh, that converged now into the appliance. Um, so that does a few different things for us, right? Uh, in terms of, like I said, high availability, scale, um, and what's really interesting is it changes the actual interface greatly, right? Um, so when you converge things like uh, controllers, right? So NSX controllers uh, basically are, you know, uh, databases uh, that's a cool, that store very similar data to like a CAN table on a switch, right? So a MAC address, IP address, um, but they also store security constructs, right? So things like network security groups, uh, tags and all that that information is stored in a controller um, in NSXT, right? So in V, it was stored, those security objects were stored in vCenter. Uh, but now T, uh, the security constructs are stored in the controllers. Um, so those security constructs are now pushed up uh, into the actual manager appliance, uh, which gives us the ability to control scale when we go across different, you know, uh, infrastructure from on-prem to cloud uh, and things like that. So I guess going back to the UI, uh, that drives a lot of the UI changes that you see when you first look into the UI, right? Um, so first right. and foremost, uh, you know, the UI is uh, HTML5, right? 
Um, so if you see it, it's a huge improvement, just like look and feel. Um, have, has anyone else seen it yet? No, I have not seen it. Uh, I don't think, uh, I don't know if uh, t uh, Corey has seen it yet, but uh, most of us don't sit uh, during the day and install yet, and maybe some of the people on chat have, uh, but I have not. Yeah, so I'll say this is, uh, in terms of UI enhancements, the big things you notice right away uh, is the sort of the landing page, right? So you get an overview of networking security, and it's really sort of, it's not separated out into sort of the component view like it was before where you had each individual component. Now it's more of a logical sort of construct and display. Um, so it's in terms of overall security, overall networking. Uh, and then when you look right away at the UI, the big things you see that's different uh, is security and then advanced networking and security, right? Um, so as I mentioned, there's the new NSX policy manager, right? So the difference between security and advanced security is really this. Security is applying to DSW through manager. When you click on advanced networking and security, you're actually using the API, right, through policy manager. And so that changes a lot of how the security constructs are processed and things like that. Um, so when we look at, you know, something like uh, security uh, policy processing in terms of like what order do things get processed first, uh, there are some different changes now in terms of uh, policy manager processing than DFW and things like that. Um, so I won't go into all of them in depth right now, but do be aware uh, that those are out there, right? Um, so read up on those pieces. Uh, so some really interesting changes when we look at things like introducing a, you know, introduction of policy manager uh, and really what this is doing and the reason uh, this is happening uh, is because we're looking to do some things in the future in terms of roadmap. Um, so why are we merging that API, right? Uh, so it's, it's because we want to do infrastructure as code. Um, so we want sure. people to use things like policy manager, right? Right. Okay. So, so just, uh, yeah, yeah, separating those out so you have API-driven functionality, you have GUI-driven functionality, but uh, building that out so that, you know, you can, you absolutely can do API-driven and then that, that focuses on automation. Right? Exactly. Um, and so when we talk about automation, there's some really new interesting uh, pieces that we're adding in 2.4 when we look at, like, uh, Ansible. Um, so a lot of additions for Ansible. Um, as well as, you know, Python, PowerShell, and things like that. Um, so when we look at how we're actually, no worries, no worries. Um, so I do a lot of public speaking, and uh, I've had a lot of reactions. That's an interesting one that I haven't had before. Sounds good. So I'll just pick up where I was in terms of thought, in terms of why we're seeing these changes, in terms of, you know, uh, in the architecture as well as the UI, and uh, driving towards, uh, cloud and container adoption when we're looking at infrastructure as code, right? Um, so there's a huge amount of changes when we look at, you know, how those are being deployed, right? So uh, things like NFX Manager, uh, things to be aware of, right? So when you start looking at 2.4, be advised that the requirements are definitely different than 2.3. Uh, when we look at things like how much CPU uh, memory that Manager for 2.4 requires, right? So you're looking at like uh, 4V CPU, 16 gig of RAM. Uh, as well as changes because, you know, when we look at uh, adding those controllers into the actual management appliance, we need more resource there. Um, so be aware that there's those changes out there as well. Uh, and then the requirements for the underlying infrastructure, right? If, so if you're doing things like ESXi, 
Uh, those are things like 65U2, 67U1, uh, and, you know, reciprocative uh, vCenter uh, code as well. Um, so just sort of be advised that, that, you know, quite a few changes uh, to have when you do your deployment, right? Um, now, what's interesting is there's a checklist for installation. Um, and the checklist for installation is very similar to the upgrade, right? Um, so, you know, be advised, go out there, go through the checklist for installation, because it really walks you through, um, have you made the adjustments in terms of increasing CPU memory uh, and things like that for the uh, NSX manager before you start to do an upgrade, or you deploy a new appliance, right? Um, so when you look at those changes, those are out there. Um, and one of the things I'll mention here that I see in the field a lot right now, uh, is the difference in licensing keys between NSX and NSX data center. Um, so there's a licensing key change in V between 6.3 and 6.4, uh, uh, and then in T, you know, when we look at that. So you have to actually file an SR with your license key to get an upgraded uh, NSX data center key that you can use for things like 2.4, for example, right? Um, so to be advised that has to, you have to go in and file a ticket for, uh, I think it's product activation. Um, so go in and file a ticket for product activation, put in your NSX key, say, hey, I need to convert from NSX to NSX data center. Uh, and that gets you through that hurdle, at least in terms of readiness, right? Um, so that's one of the bigger things I see out there uh, besides just general uh, component changes and sort of resource allocation, right? Right, right, right. I meant to, uh, before we, we get uh, further in, into the interview, or at least uh, you telling us about it, um, I wanted to ask first off, because you went through a lot, um, where are you located? Just way back here. So yeah. You yourself. Yeah, yeah. Where do you work out of? So I work out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so I cover pretty much uh, most of the East right now. Um, so I have clients uh, up in sort of the Detroit area, the Cleveland area, um, even we'll say sort of uh, around Ohio, and uh, all the way down to even things like uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and out in Phoenix, Arizona as well. Um, all right. So well, we quite a patch. Yeah, we are a community podcast, so it's always good to yeah, get a couple of those questions uh, in there. Uh, second one is we obviously have NSXV and NSXT. We're talking about NSXT 2.4. Uh, sure. Are you seeing, when you talk about NS, NSXV, where it's on-prem, really managing what's happening on-prem for your SDN, um, how much are you seeing people actually now taking advantage of moving from uh, V to T with regard to like building true hybrid cloud environments, right? Because the true value proposition, the way I understand it, is T really does allow you to manage, you know, the networks across multiple clouds, right? So maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, when you're looking at field and adoption, um, are people really starting to move into the hybrid cloud world where you're building the infrastructure using T to, to manage multiple networks? Yeah, um, so great question. And I'll say that we see quite a bit of that because we have, you know, quite a few deployments in V when we look at it, quite a you know, large footprint. Um, and those clients are well vested into that V architecture. Um, so it's interesting, but they do need to go to the cloud. So uh, most organizations right now have uh, basically, you know, either production V uh, and then Greenfield T, right, where the new installation of NSXT 
that they're deploying for things that they want to be able to do uh, in hybrid cloud, right? Um, and then we help them with migration strategies between, you know, workload environments, whether or not it's things like coexist instead of upgrade or migration, right? The idea that you have a NSXD environment and an NSXT environment and a coexist architecture uh, where we route between uh, the two environments and provide you that, you know, that agility, right? Uh, so the thought right. there is, uh, I see a lot of that kind of thing, sure. Nice. And when, uh, when you know, as we as we moved into AWS uh, the, the last two years, are you seeing people start to build out, you know, that a true hybrid environment where you have, uh, we have networking running over in the cloud? And then how does that play in versus uh, what we're doing as the, the do we do an NSXT uh, service as AWS? I've kind of been reading a little bit about that on some of the blog articles. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, when I'm doing hybrid up into AWS. Um, do you see customer, ado customer adoption there yet, or is that still too early? Oh, no, it's not too early. I have uh, the majority of my clients do have AWS initiatives and have uh, environments deployed. Um, so they have these VPCs uh, deployed. We see a lot of, uh, you know, initiatives around moving, you know, some serious uh, workloads uh, right now, and when we look at what the people are doing, I think back and forth, we even see a lot of things like HCX, right, for you know the migration of those workloads and things between uh, you know on-prem, you know, NSX environments and um, uh, cloud. Um, so we see quite a bit of that. And then speaking of things like NSX cloud, um, that is a huge uh, momentum piece right now. Um, everybody wants to be able to have unified security across multiple clouds. Um, so the majority of organizations are not just a single cloud consumer, right? Um, they want to be able to do things like AWS. They want to be able to do things like Azure or GCP, you know, Google Cloud uh, Platform. Uh, so they want to be able to do these other things, whether or not it's SaaS, you know, for a specific service, uh, and then have the same, you know, networking security. Uh, across all those clouds. So NSX Cloud is a big uh, big piece of sort of that multi-cloud strategy when you look at hybrid cloud. Right, okay, makes sense. Um, it, with regard to like uh, your role in uh, consulting, like where do you see IT practitioners, like we've always had traditional uh, storage admins, compute admins, and now yeah, obviously network admins, and a lot of those were Cisco, you know, trained uh, and have big long careers here. What's your feeling? And obviously you're, you're, you're in, the, you've, got, you've founded this org to, to help adoption post-sale. Um, where do you think uh, admins are with regard to uh, networking skill sets? Do we think that we're pulling more of the network admins that were in the Cisco uh, wheelhouse over into the NSX camp now? Do you see compute or other admins moving into uh, into the a networking role? Uh, what's your take on where the training level is and how are people learning how to do this? Or are we pulling people in from uh, the Cisco admin crowds to, to build SDNs? Yeah, no, interesting enough. So uh, really, in terms of our role, first and foremost, um, what we're really helping them to do is to make these changes in terms of uh, being able to deliver to the business um, 
you know, new technologies that are just simply different from, you know, older technologies of networking. Uh, so there's a lot of enablement, of course, in terms of that needs to be done. Um, and of course, there's a, you know, that two schools of camp, right? Uh, there are the religious network guys, right? Um, and then there's right. network uh, engineers that can kind of see um, where things are going, right? Um, so, you know, there's definitely two crowds out there. Uh, but what's interesting is the more that I work even with, uh, you know, the folks that have spent long-term, uh, you know, networking careers, uh, they're being driven by their business. So it's interesting because, you know, a few years ago, uh, you know, I would talk to them or this or that, and they were really not as interested in, you know, learning about NSX, right? Uh, right. In last year and this year, they're, I can't stop them. They're like pinging me on social and everywhere. And so <laughs> there's a realization, right? Right. So momentum has hit, and uh, the guys that want to get there will get there. It, it might also be kind of like I have a, 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 um, a cousin who you know is is a network administrator. I also have uh, a brother-in-law who's you know now 60, who was a, a Cisco guy for many years. And you see a the Cisco guy's like, I'm just going to run to the end of my career here, just doing Cisco networking, and I'm I'm not going to get there, right? And then you see the younger crowd who are like projecting their career, looking at you know, hey, here's where I need to be at so, in order to be relevant in the next 10 years. Right? Yeah, and that was literally my last VMUG, right? So my last VMUG was the majority of the engineers up front, uh, probably, you know, 100-something people, a majority of the engineers up front, you know, that typical older, you know, Cisco career track club, right? Um, and right. then in the back table, in the back corner, there was four tables of, you know, the, the kids in skinny jeans with the big beards, right? Uh, and here's what was funny is my first slide said, so why do these kids in the skinny jeans want containers anyway? Right? Um, <laughs> right. Right. So we're going to have to stop funny, doing that, yeah. by the way. You can't make fun of the guys yeah. in the beards and the skinny jeans because they're taking over the world. So, uh, no, but exactly, yeah, exactly. So. yeah, right, right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the interesting thing. And then uh, I will say, I think uh, we have to say goodbye to uh, Ishmael. So Ishmael, thanks for dropping by being that go do some more fi finance because we've got some really cool things we're wanting to do at VMworld this year with code. So uh, ring out the money and see what we see what you can get for us. Hey, I got you, Eric. Thank you so much for letting me participate in an awesome experience. Yeah. And, uh, I'll definitely look for some uh, extra dollars for it's, you. It's a budget. community effort, oh, community roundtable. Hey, thanks, hey, thanks for the right? Yeah, or exactly. Community, actually. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, All right, thanks for dropping in. Yeah. So yeah, Eric, it is it is it is true. I've, I've seen this momentum shift in the, the administrators, you know, coming around to SDN, right, and coming around to kind of uh, right. VMware. And then as we offered up stuff for AWS, it was interesting to go to AWS reInvent and see a lot of these guys that haven't really thought about connecting things back into the data center start to look at this now and go, yeah, this is somewhere we probably want to go because uh, just running things always in AWS isn't where our long-term vision is for our growing small company. So we want to figure out how to get back into, into buildings and where we're, we're running our own gear as well. So we're coming at it from sure. a young companies coming, you know, building their own infrastructure uh, because it's expensive to be all in AWS. Some of these cases don't make sense. And then there's the big enterprise guys that uh, are the next gen coming, figuring out how to move some of their workloads back into AWS and, and security. So I know you touched on security a little bit. Um, 
and and we, we did have so the, the spammer come in. Uh, what are some of the big bullet points? I know we have Thomas Korn on the call every once in a while. Uh, he's looking at some of the, the firewall stuff that's there. Um, what's your sense on you know the, the security guys pulling together in the, in the, in the, with the network guys to actually become a bigger role for one person? Because it, it seems like now network security is, is kind of the focal point of where to kind of lock things down and, and isolate traffic. Uh, where, where, do you see some of that progress happening as well? I do, and it's interesting because the security teams are very uh, interested in being uh, part of it, right? Uh, and then there's some challenges that we see right away when we look at cloud adoption for security, uh, because most of their quote-unquote you know, security audit uh, collection posture forms that they use to typically uh, issue out to an application owner when they say, hey, I want to move my application, they say, okay, fill out this form, right? Um, and it basically says, you know, here's their model for defining what security policy is. But this is all based off of old standards that aren't really part of the cloud because it says things like, you know, about the physical server and things like that, right? Um, so it's, in, it's interesting because there's a lot of challenges that I see where security teams uh, have to, first of all, sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, change sort of their audit compliance uh, collection as well. Right, right. So just just whole policy changes, uh, you know, just to address the the, the changing landscape yeah. of what a network actually looks like, right? And then where right. where the security risks are. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Exactly. So in uh, 2020, uh, as we as we you know the, 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 we're moving, what are some of your big challenges? What are you guys thinking about? I know you look at your goals and objectives for the for the year, and I, I don't want you to talk about anything that's confidential. But what are you, some of the big challenges that you guys are looking to solve in 2020? Uh, Pat talked about uh, at the leadership conference that you know the networking business is now for us a billion dollar business, a billion plus business now, billion billion and change. I don't know what the actual number is, but it's maybe billion four or something like that. Where you know, and then momentum's there. So, what are your, some of your big challenges uh, going into 2020? Yeah, I, I, so the big challenges right now out there in the field uh, are that clients want to adopt grid, you know, networking and security technologies so quickly um, that it's getting them from you know environments like the CT um, and things like that, right? So, helping with enablement training. Uh, as well as design. So we do, in my practice at least, we do a lot of, uh, you know, post-sales design, right? Um, so we're still working with clients who they had a V implementation, and all of a sudden now they have a PKS project, right? Um, so the engineers that they had were trained in V, for example. Uh, they're, you know, many times just recently gone through some ICM for T, for example, but that doesn't help them right. make design decisions in terms of, you know, things that they need for hybrid cloud or containers. Right. Do you see the, speaking of roles, do you see the, the developers, because, you know, you, you specialize in Kubernetes, and I know we, the um, PKE that we do, you know, uh, in, now interacts with NSX, and uh, do you see the developers starting to influence and start needing to be in that conversation as well as they're designing the, modern, the next generation modern apps? Uh, absolutely. So I had a phone call not too long ago from one of my clients uh, who said, hey, our develop we're panicked because our developers want to do Istio, uh, which is a service mesh for containers, um, right. 
uh, that provides application availability, right? The ability to scale based upon response times and things like that, right? Um, so it was interesting. They were all panicked. They want to do this deal. And I said, it's okay. Uh, we have something called NFX Service Mesh, which is based off of the open source project Istio. Uh, so let's meet with your developers and talk about Istio and how we can help them use something like Service Mesh. Uh, because, for example, the developer does not want to be responsible for operations. He does not want someone to call him and say, hey, log into your sidecar in Istio and tell me what Mixer says for what's being balanced between what containers, right? Um, so they want something like NSX Service Mesh, for example, because it gives them uh, that view of all that same information back through to NSX, right? Uh, so through NSX, of course, then they can see, for example, application availability, uh, even with products like Wavefront, right? So Wavefront is what we're using there uh, to define and monitor all that application availability between those things when you have that service mesh, right? Um, so I'm seeing a lot of developers actually initiate the discussion uh, because they want to use the unified networking security, uh, but they, they're not aware of what the offerings are, right? Right. So one of the big challenges for you then is just to get the word out, right? And and then is there like a scale up on training too? Like in order to get other practitioners to be able to handle this load, there's only so many TAMs out there. Like um, any strategies you guys are putting in through 2019, um, to, you know, calendar year 2019 to actually um, accelerate people's uh, skill set journey uh, with regard to, you know, SDN or, you know, Kubernetes and, you know, pulling that service mesh, you know, configuring service mesh. I know those are almost like whole new, you know, uh, practices that you have to spend time learning. And uh, I'm just wondering right. if we're, we at VMware are actually trying to address some of that. So we are. Uh, we have, you know, huge initiatives, especially when we look at what, Recent acquisitions, for example, of you know uh, the acquisition of uh, Heptio Kubernetes founders, um, we have huge uh, knowledge uh, that is actually being sort of built in uh, for both uh, you know sort of the I guess intellectual property and the knowledge there as well as uh, delivery. Right. So when we look at delivery, uh, we're doing a lot more now in terms of enablement, uh, enablement sessions, different things we call them in the field. Right. NSX Ninja trainings and things like that, um, right. and whatever they are, for example, those things, right? Right. So, have you have you guys? Uh, you talked about getting out to VMUGs. Are there other TAMs or other other you know activities that when we go to VMUGs, there might be some place to learn a little bit more about uh, NSXT and other you know other technologies that are kind of in this this cutting edge space of building a, a modern app in a hybrid world? Yeah. In yeah, interesting enough. So, you know, the VMUGs are a huge driver right now. So we literally have, quite, you know, a number of people doing uh, VMUGs as well as different conference-type enablement presentations and things like that um, that are not typical VMware things like DevOps, for example, right? Um, so we have a lot of DevOps guys. I'll say that my, uh, my Twitter feed and my LinkedIn feed is pretty full of DevOps guys these days. Um, because they're the ones that really are sort of driving a lot of this stuff, right? Um, so it's interesting when we look at what we're doing out there, we're doing a lot of work uh, with different groups than we used to. Okay. All right. Um, you know, I'm just going through things that are top of my head. Uh, if you want to, if you want to drill down on any other architecture features or any other things, but for for me at the at the at the high level, 
pricing, right? I always, uh, in a, you know, you can tell me what you can tell me or not tell me, but uh, when, when I looked at, you know, cost per port on the, in, this, in the Cisco gear in the days, it was like, it was ridiculous. Like they're, they're charging, you know, $20,000 per, per port per year, right? Um, and I know that NSX has come into the space and, you know, cut that in half, right? So what's your impression? Because you, you probably see a lot of, you know, field activities around what people are buying. Um, are these prices fair? I, I look at it and I go, oh my gosh, you know, still at $10,000 per port per year. Um, what's it? Where, where is pricing going on all this? Is this ever going to scale out to smaller numbers when we're talking about managing network connections? I, I just find that whole thing when I, when I hear about NSX pricing, I always, I always cringe as an admin, but that's just because I'm used to buying hardware gear. Any thoughts on uh, where, the, where the port pricing is? Is, this a, is it where it should be in comparison to what the, the old Cisco gear cost? Um, what are you seeing with regards to like, people trying to figure out how to then reduce the cost of, of the whole network space as well? or is that just a, never going to happen? No, so that's a, and so it's interesting you mentioned that because I think what you, the, the thing is, is we, we typically look at, you know, price per port, um, but you're not buying price per port. You're getting uh, security policy management. So imagine instead of just buying a switch price per port, add your right. firewalls in there too, right? So if you look at how many firewalls are deployed in an environment, typically physically, um, it could be, you know, 36 firewalls just for something like a DMZ inside a major enterprise. Um, and you look at the price of those 36 firewalls that are, you know, some context where big fancy guys, right, in cluster right. mode, of course. Um, and those are significant money. Those are when you look at, you know, those are $500,000 purchases, right, a piece. Right. So when you right. look at 36 of those, I think price per port, NSX, it's really not that expensive. Right, so it's, it's really the cost of the entire network solution, right, um, in one model, a physical model versus yeah. what you, the network solution for the, the, your number of employees, uh, you know, across an enterprise when you're building an SDN, I guess that's what you're, what you're, what you're telling me. Stop worrying about price per port, right, even though it comes down to a price per port, but it's the entire network infrastructure, not, not just, not just a, a network switch port. Exactly. So and I also think about things that just like, uh, you know, functions like load balancing, for example. 80% of load balancing in most organizations is really just very simple round robin between a few, you know, servers back and forth based upon some simple stuff. It's not very complex load balancing. And NSX services all that as well, right? So when you look at the cost of, you know, buying that need for simple load balancing or even some complex stuff now that we can uh, do even more, uh, but, you know, when you look at context IDs and things like that, but um, it's interesting because when you look at what you're doing, it's, it is a, it's, you're buying a fabric, right? You're buying a network security fabric, right? You're not buying switch right. ports, you know, so. Right. Yeah. yeah, I get it. I get it. That makes sense. It could come back to my snarky question on how expensive all this is, but uh, but when you look, yeah, when you consider it, uh, everything you're doing there, that that makes sense. Um, and then, well, it, uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I used to be a director and buy this stuff, right? Um, and when you're buying, you know, switchgear, routing gear, uh, firewalls, load balancers, uh, you look at just simple things like my SNS across all that for service and support was probably more than my what an NSX contract would have been. Right, right, okay. 
Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, moving on, I'll, I'll, I'll ping you with another, another, set of, another question here, which is, what is the biggest mistake uh, you see happening out in the field when, it's, when you're building out your SDM? Um, so the, I guess the first thing I see the biggest mistake is, uh, and this is really important, I see this quite a bit, uh, TEP subnets, right? So tunnel endpoints, or VTEP in NFXV, right? Or just TEP in NFXT, which is the tunnel endpoint between physical servers, the nodes, right? Um, mm -hmm. So en network engineers, by nature, are taught to create the smallest subnet possible uh, when creating a subnet for a network. And so they will ask, how many hosts do you have or how many servers? And if you only tell them, hey, I've got 20 servers, they're going to give you a very small subnet for your TEP or VTEP network, right? Uh, and that creates a lot of issues for us when we look at having to scale later, right? So the first thing that I want to emphasize is when you have TEP networks, whether they're VTEP or TEP, um, make sure you're generous, right? Explain to the network engineers you're working with and say, hey, um, it's only 20 servers today, um, but the business is going to add in X, X, and X. So it's really hard for us to change that later, right? So let's get that mm -hmm. in now and let's have a more generous subnet, right? That makes sense, right? And there's, you know, not a lot of cost to doing it in an SDN, so why not over plan for that and save you a lot of trouble down the road? Um, exactly. Okay. It's free addressing, right? So. <laughs> Um, what's, the, um, what's the most positive uh, experience you had at, at a customer site uh, when, when you got it running? Do you have any kind of like stories you go, wow, I, I worked on this, I worked with this customer, and by the time we were done, we all looked back and went, wow, that's amazing. Uh, we either saved a lot of money or it worked really well. Uh, so I think it's like the, yeah. the opposite of the horror story. What's the, what's the best story that sticks in your mind? You know, so I'll just, I'm going to probably go with one of my guy's stories. So I won't name the guy or the client, uh, but uh, it's, it's interesting because sometimes I'm not aware of these things even until sort of afterwards, right? Um, when you hear the client send you or send you an email or call you saying, hey, you know, so-and-so came in and this is what, what was the outcome, right? Um, so we right. see a lot of clients get deployed with V, for example, right? Um, and then they have some business initiatives such as hybrid cloud or container development, uh, that leads them to something like MSXT. Um, so now they're post-sales without any design help or how to get from B to T and all these things. So I guess the best example I could give you, um, I have uh, one of my peers uh, who went into a healthcare company uh, in the Midwest, uh, basically as the NSXT has for uh, their V environment, uh, the business comes back and says, hey, we have to do all these things and we need to do it really quick because, uh, you know, such and such with development and it has to be uh, in the cloud and it has to be, you know, uh, such and such. And so it's a PKS development, uh, deployment nonetheless, right? Um, so it's a huge shift in terms of, you know, first enabling the client with what is NSXT, how will we do design, holding design workshops, um, going through all sorts of things when we think of just like uh, like uh, PKS environments, you have different constructs for routing, like routed mode versus map mode. Uh, is this an environment that's going to be QA dev test? Um, so work through all these things with the client. Uh, help them through all the design changes, the implementations, or the, you know starting a you know a, a greenfield environment, uh, helping them build those pieces out. 
um, all the way to fruition to where uh, basically, you know, VMware PS and uh, Pivotal uh, PSOs in there uh, doing a PKS uh, deployment. And it was so successful, in fact, uh, they were really surprised in terms of how quickly they were able to get uh, going with the new technologies in terms of, you know, container development in terms of PKS. Uh, when they already had a pre-existing NSXD environment, um, and everybody they talked to said, oh, no, this is going to take you, you know, quite a good amount of time, right? Um, and the difference is, is, you know, the people we have have a lot of experience in terms of these different environments, how to work between them. Um, and it's really interesting when you see uh, – I have another great one. We put a uh, NSX TAS in a client, a large bank. Right, very large bank. Um, they had full-time they asked for the TAS. A year later, they had, we put another TAS in there just to start helping out because it's still not enough. Um, and they right. say, we want a second full-time TAS um, because they're doing so much with these projects in terms of either hybrid cloud uh, or, you know, container development that, you know, uh, we see a lot of demand for that enablement and, uh, you know, assistance. Do you see the excitement around this kind of stuff where you have these success, success stories? Do you see it kind of similar to like when you virtualize machines at the beginning where there's just all this excitement around, wow, we just simplified everything and I can manage you know, 20, 50, 100, 200, 500 machines all through software now. Do you gonna kind of get that reaction when everybody gets NSX or running and it's behaving properly that you, you just realize that your network admin just went from super complicated working with physical boxes and updates to I have a panel that I can come in and, and control through software, my network. Do you see that kind of excitement when, when people get this stuff running? Yeah, so the, the big excitement you see right away, of course, uh, is that immediate reaction uh, when they had that realization that the, what they wanted to do, they can actually do, right? Um, and it's interesting because when you sort of look at the excitement, I have not seen this, truthfully, uh, since the early ESXi days. Um, so I've, you know, been doing this stuff quite a while in terms of as a user, consumer, uh, service provider, then employee for VMware. Um, and I have not seen this in a long time. Um, and it's interesting because people are so excited, in fact, we're really interfacing differently now uh, with who the consumers are. Like I said, it's DevOps, it's all these other business, it's security, it's all the other business uh, units that typically weren't interacting with VMware. Uh, very excited to be able to use these technologies uh, to you know, achieve business goals. Great. All right, I got another, I got another one for you, which this is getting to be fun. If you had a magic wand and you could wave it and get one new cool thing, which you don't have right now, do you have any idea like what you would, you would want to see happen in order to make it even better? So do you run into things that you go, oh man, I can't wait until we get this another, another piece done. And what would that piece look like if you, if you bumped into something like that? So I think the most important thing that I would like to see us have is federation between NSX managers, uh, the ability to have uh, between NSX environments uh, unified uh, consumption and management, right? Um, and guess what? That is actually on the roadmap, right? So some of these features we talked about or I talked about today uh, in terms of breaking out that policy manager with the API uh, and doing things like uh, infrastructure as a service, our code, you know, infrastructure as code, rather, 
um, that basically enables us for all those forward-facing development efforts such as federation. Uh, so to me, federation is where it's at. Once we get to the point uh, where we can get across NSX environments, uh, there's not much else you can't do. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, when you're talking about writing code, we still have a few more minutes here. I want to ask you a little bit about how are people writing this? So in, the, in a real sense, um, you know, there's, there's languages, there's developers who are building you know, modern-day apps. Um, maybe, they're, maybe they're writing things in uh, you know, Go. Maybe they're writing things in Python. Um, they, maybe they're still writing it in Java. But um, do you see... Uh, the application builders actually doing dynamic configuration of the network based on some kind of activity in the app? Or is it really just building automation to, to, to manage your infrastructure efficiently, but it really doesn't tie directly into the app yet? I'm always curious to know where we are with regards to, I know we're doing automation for the infrastructure, but I'm always wondering whether app guys yet are actually starting to dynamically control infrastructure based on activity inside the app itself. So I was just wondering if you've experienced any of that, knowing that you've spent time in Kubernetes land. Yeah, so they are actively deploying load balancers on the fly usually, typically uh, as part of their application. And it's interesting, the network team is usually not aware that there's a load balancer in there at all. Um, and they're doing that on the fly for all their dev tests, uh, QA environments, uh, and doing things like NAT as well, right? So they can have you know hidden translate addresses uh, that they can reuse over and over again, so that way the IP addressing inside of their QA is the same as their dev and test, um, and those are not exposed back into the network, right? Uh, so I see a right. lot of uh, people deploying load balancers and all sorts of things as code, yeah. Yeah, so it hasn't reached to the, the effect where when I'm building my app and somebody does something and orders 17,000 of XYZ, it's not dynamically configuring the infrastructure to handle that workload that's in the app itself, it's more of just the developer team doing setup of you know environments, whether it be production, dev, or test, right? That uh, that's doing that. And uh, I'm I'm waiting to see like the Netflix world where they actually dynamically control the infrastructure based on the amount of movies they have to stream and any given uh, ten yeah. minute segment. Right. So. Right. So the one client I did mention that was doing the uh, Istio NSX service mesh, they are doing that. So they're basically measuring response time of their application based on number of users and the number of other you know, metrics, right, and right. Uh, telemetry. Um, and they are scaling out entire clusters uh, based on that load. And they're doing it today in you know, sort of their new, what they call their next-gen product, right, because they write their own uh, application, right? So it's their next-gen product they're using it in. Uh, but they're actually right. actually doing that today with that, yeah. So. Neat, neat. Well, we're running at the top of the hour, so we'll, we'll, we'll start to close off here and say, so Eric, um, where can people learn a little bit more about uh, what you're up to? Um, maybe it's just going to the VMware product pages. Um, and then are you on Twitter? And if so, what's your Twitter handle? Absolutely. I guess first and foremost, uh, it's Eric Hinderer on Twitter, so at Eric Hinderer. Um, and then in terms of a blog, I have a blog, virtuallyred.com. Uh, so you can catch me on virtuallyred.com. Uh, I'm also on most of the other socials and things like that. Um, and then, of course, if you're looking for anything around NSX or uh, networking security tabs, uh, there's the official networking security tabs page out there where you can learn about what our group does. 
Um, but like I said, social uh, editor Kinder, uh, I'm out there with my name. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'll spell a little bit of that. So it's uh, at E R I K H I N D E R E R. So go give him a follow, E-R-I-K-H-I-N-D-E-R-E-R. -E -E and then your blog, if I'm not correct, is virtual red, virtual and then R-E-D, not R-E-A-D, right? So it's virtual red in the color red dot com. No, is it's red as in, no, it's, it, no, it's, re is it? it's red as in I virtually, I virtually read that. Um, I virtually read so that. All right. Yeah, right, right, right. So it's virtually red, right? right? So, so it is R-E-A-D. Okay. I could have swore I yeah, had it. Yeah, it is R-E-A-D. No, no. Virtually read. As in Very most people virtually read it. Yeah. Virtually read. I don't virtually read anything anymore. So I just virtually <laughs> video. I watch YouTube videos and learn right. everything on YouTube these days. Uh, which I, I got to say, thanks a lot for taking time out. I know you're over in Vegas at the sales kickoff, and uh, you walk back to your hotel room to to do the podcast. So I appreciate you doing that. Now you're gonna have to walk back. Uh, but I hope they're treating you well uh, at the at the kickoff, and I hope you have a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for coming on the show and just uh, sharing what's new in NSXT. And uh, I hope we get a lot more people out there trained up and uh, can engage with the product. So thanks a lot for doing all the work that you do. And thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, and with that, we'll, we'll finish up with uh, the D Barbecue report at the end of the show. So um, I believe that Wonderner did do some barbecuing last week. So, so Tony, uh, what do you got did. for us? So, so um, this last week I actually did uh, salmon patties uh, on the barbecue grill. Um, and, and the way I do my salmon patties anyway is uh, crackers, eggs, um, salmon, uh, mix it all together. And uh, in this instance, I threw it on the grill and, oh, they turned out wonderful. Uh, that's nice. It, uh, we're supposed to get some sun here in California now in the next couple days, so um, I'm thinking I'm going to get out there and uh, open up my beehives and get some fresh honey and then do a honey glaze and get it on some Ooh. pork, so be pretty good. So if, be I, good. if I get that going, I'll, I'll, I'll take some pictures and tweet that out because the bees have been active now again as the rain has subsided. So with that, you should be starting to get hungry if you're listening to this. Sorry about that if you're not near food. Uh, it is lunchtime here in California. It is 1 o'clock, and so uh, we will be back here again next week. I think we have some uh, some some dev topics to talk about, uh, and uh, some of the cloud services guys are going to come in and talk a little bit about some of the new things that are going on um, on AWS that we're working on in 2020. Uh, so until then, uh, thanks for everybody showing up live. Uh, we will edit out the, uh, the, the Spring Break spammer and uh, repost the... Uh, the, the video stream and uh, thanks a lot for everybody on the chat. Good to see everybody showing up. Uh, Going to be exciting. We're working on some VMworld stuff that we should be able to start talking about next week as well. So uh, we're, we're, we're back in 2020 calendar year 2019, physical year 2020 with a lot of cool stuff we're building out. So thanks for everybody being here. I'm getting excited for the year. And with that, we will hit the big red stop button now.